find the men. This weekend is the men's retreat. Men, we'd love for you to come. Don't miss it. Dr. Thaddeus Williams is speaking. It's happening at Palomar Mountain. Uh, don't let funds be an issue. We have scholarships that can help you get there. So please join us. Sign up today. It's actually coming up this Friday. So we want every guy there. And let's have a word of prayer as we get into God's word this morning and talk about moms and celebrating God's plan. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Sunday in which we can remember how valuable mothers are and fathers too. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that we would remember this is all part of your plan, God. And so we're here to worship you this morning. We're here to worship you and lift you up and, and, and honor you today, God. I pray that everything that we do would do that this morning. May our hearts be ready to hear what you have to tell us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we celebrate moms, I want to do this. I want to celebrate God's amazing plan, that he has a plan for families. And he has given it to us in his word, right? So as a church, we want to celebrate that. At times, I feel like Christians get a little embarrassed about God's plan, like we don't want to stand up for it. We don't want to talk about it. Maybe it's not that cool anymore. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that Jesus' wisdom is infinite. His solutions to our problems are awesome. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we uphold the word of God. We celebrate God's plan. And that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about that. The bottom line is this. God's plan for mothers and families is something that we ought to celebrate. As we remember that godly mothers become an incredibly powerful force for good in this world. Moms, I hope... Could you hold this, by the way? There you go. There you go, Mom. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day. Um, moms become an incredibly powerful force for good when we seek to do motherhood God's way. And to celebrate that and to acknowledge that God's plan is awesome. You know, in today's world, there are so many things that are attacking God's plan. I sense it every day. You probably do as well. I'm going to show you this uh, diagram that I adapted a little bit. On the left-hand side, you see a castle built on the foundation of postmodern values. On the right-hand side, a castle built on God's plan for the family. And as you can see, postmodern values are taking shots at the foundation of God's plan for the family. How are they doing that? With things like this. Secular humanism, pushing God out of our culture, out of our system, out of our schools, pushing God away, and making man the center of everything. Another way they're doing is political correctness and trying to keep the answers that God has for us out of the mainstream of cultural thought. Another way is this, defective doctrine all around us. Defective doctrine about how to be right with God, how to get to heaven. What does the Bible say? People are rejecting a Jesus that isn't even a true representation of who Jesus is, which is really sad to me because there's so much defective doctrine out there. Moral relativism, that there's no absolute authority about any moral decision. Everyone's pretty much an authority unto themselves. Here's another way it's being attacked. God's plan for the families. Poor priorities in our culture all around us. And then media values. If you're like me, virtually every TV show that you watch portrays moms and dads as total idiots and losers. All these media values that undermine the way God's word tells us to live. And so it's time for us to take a stand, to celebrate God's plan, to stand up. Now, on the right, there's some people that are trying to defend 
God's plan for the family. But the problem is the guy up top, he's asleep at the job. He's not even noticing what's going on all around him as the, the foundation for God's plan for the family is being destroyed. Then the other guy, here's another guy, he's shooting his cannon totally in the wrong direction. He's involved in something that has no impact whatsoever. As with this person here, he's firing his cannon, but it's not hitting anything. He's just aimless. So the person over here, he's got his cannon. He's aiming the right direction, but he's not firing. This other person at the bottom here, he is shooting his cannon at his own foundation, undermining God's word and God's plan for the family. That happens, believe it or not. I've experienced it. People claim to be followers of Christ, but undermine the word of God and the very things that it clearly and plainly teaches. Riverview. May we be a church that rejoices in God's plan. May you and I stand up to the calling to which you and I have received. We are followers of Christ. We are Christians. The word means little Christ. We're to be like Jesus. And the answers that God gives us in his word are awesome. You know, the, the crazy thing is, is our culture kind of portrays the message that, hey, God's plan has been tried and found wanting. God's plan for families, man, that's been tried. Man, it's been found wanting. Here's the reality. God's plan has not been tried. Time after time, people are not doing God's plan for the family, doing it God's way. And that's what I want to talk about today. What is God's plan for the family? Let's refocus on that and really live it out. May I as a husband, may I as a father live it out that I would really focus on that. May the two of us together, my wife and I, live it out like God has told us to do it. And that's the, that's the goal that I have today. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. I don't even have a page number up there because it's the first book of the Bible, second chapter. I don't want to insult your intelligence by giving you a page number, right? You should figure it out. Genesis chapter 1, then Genesis chapter 2, right? Now, this is when Adam and Eve were created. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a nice story that God gave us to kind of calm our understanding of how we all came to be. This is what really happened. I'm going to start actually on verse 18. It says this. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man, Adam, should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Adam had a job right away. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So you see what's happening. God brings all these animals, and Adam goes, yeah, that's an elephant, but not like me. Uh, that, that's a giraffe, but not like me. Uh, that's that's a, a lion, but not like me. And one by one, he names all the animals, but there was not someone like Adam. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. You can sense the excitement of Adam in the next verse, right? He's like, woohoo! Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out 
of a man. And here's God's plan. It's one verse, but it's powerful. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. Here's the first thing I want you to remember today. As we celebrate God's plan, right? When we celebrate mothers, which what, what we're doing today, we're celebrating motherhood and fathers, by the way. We celebrate God's ingenious plan for his creation. I hope every one of you here today acknowledges that God's wisdom is so much greater than my wisdom. God's wisdom is so much greater than any radical thinker on this planet today. Any new way of doing uh, life today. God's wisdom is so much greater. God created you. God made you. He stamped his image upon you. His wisdom and his power is, they are infinite. They're infinite. And I want us to celebrate God's ingenious plan today. It is ingenious. So as we open up the Word of God, we take the principles of the Word of God and apply it. So there, it's right here, right? Uh, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Now, I get it. There are families that have been broken. There are families in which moms and dads have made mistakes. We all, we all have them, right? It's all happened. But even in those situations, God's ingenious plan is powerful. What's his plan? When somebody makes a mistake, when somebody wrongs you, you forgive them. When somebody wrongs you, you don't get angry, you don't get even, you don't get wrathful, you don't get revenge. You forgive. You forgive. We've all had parents that have made mistakes. I've lived with one my entire life that my parents made. Uh, as you know, my mom and dad, they came from Norway. They immigrated to Brooklyn, New York. They came with nothing. My dad came when he was 18 years old with virtually nothing hoping to find something in New York that could sustain him. And he did. He, he made it through the Great Depression, met my mom. They were married, had three boys that were born in Brooklyn, New York. I was the third. My oldest brother, since my mom and dad were from Norway, they named him Ivar. And he was made fun of his entire life for that name. Mom and dad, a little out of touch with American culture. Then they named my second brother, Arvid, I think I've shared this with you. He was made fun of his entire life for that Norwegian name. And for whatever reason, they named me, the third boy that came along, Melvin. So I asked my mom, Mom, that's not a Norwegian name. Why did you name me Melvin? It's not a Norwegian name. Ivar and Arvid, I get it. You're from Norway. You named them Norwegian names. She said with her Norwegian accent, Yeah, well, we wanted to name you a normal American name, so we named you Melvin. I said, Mom, you failed. You made a mistake. I have carried that mistake my whole life. Terrible name. Parents make mistakes. We get it, right? But we're still plugging into God's ingenious plan because all of us are human. Same with the church, right? Don't you sense that with the church? I'm imperfect. There will be times when I'm going to do something that will offend somebody. What's God's plan? The church comes together as imperfect people, and we love each other, and we grow up each other, and we, we uh, change each other by the power of God to be more like Christ. That was, that's what the church is all about. There is no plan B. We come together to encourage one another in a world that is so intent on rebelling against God. See, God's plans are ingenious. God's plans are perfect. I hope you rejoice in them. 
I hope when you think about marriage that you look to God's word for his plan. Uh, verse 20, the man gave names to all the animals, but the, 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 Adam did not find a helper that was fit for him. So God stepped in and he created a helper. The, the word helper in the Hebrew means this, a helpmeet suitable, completing. The New Living Translation finds it as this, a helper suited to his needs. In the Septuagint Bible, I love this way they put it, a helper correspondent to himself. When he saw Eve, he saw a perfectly designed complement to who he was. That these two individuals would come together and start the human race in a, in a thing that God invented called sex. Wait a minute. Did he just say sex in church? Absolutely. God created sex. It's a beautiful thing. It's masterful. It's a miracle how life is made, all designed by God. In the right context, it's powerful and beautiful. And as a church, we celebrate that. As a church, we ought to hold our heads high and say, God, your wisdom is infinite. It's awesome. And we as a church rejoice in it. See, God's plan is really simple. One verse, like I said, but lays out for us strategic ways in which we can build our family and marriages. It says this, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Up to this point, a mom and dad were the most important human relationships that a person had until that person married his or her spouse. Then that all changed. You're to leave your father and mother and hold fast to your wife, and they shall become one flesh. This deep, intimate relationship that God desires between a husband and a wife. Two people coming together with God in the middle, God making them stronger, God intimately involved in these two people becoming one. People have said to me, well, well, you know, in the New Testament, Mel, Jesus didn't really talk about God's plan for marriage. He didn't talk about uh, God's design. Yes, he did. Very clearly he did. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus, the wisest person that ever walked on the planet, said these words to the Pharisees. Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus affirmed God, God's plan that he instituted right at the beginning. In fact, Jesus was there right at the beginning. We know what the Bible says, right? That all things were made by him, through him, and for him, right? That you were made for Jesus. He's the designer of everything. He was right there when Adam and Eve were created. He was there when God gave them his plan for a perfect marriage and a family problem is we mess it up. The problem is we don't do it God's way. And that's what I want to talk about today. When you look at the New Testament, there are three key words for love. The first is one we've already mentioned, eros, a sexual love. The second is one that is known as phileo. It's a Greek word for a brotherly love. It's where we get the name Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. It's a friendship love between two people. The third word is a really dynamic and almost unique word to the New Testament. It's the word agape. And I define agape love as this. It's a decision of the will that is not dependent upon emotions. See, it's not saying I'll love you when I feel like it. 
or I, I don't feel like loving that person. I, I'm not into it right now, so I'm not going to act in love toward that person. See, that's not God's kind of love. It's not a love dependent upon emotions. Agape love is the love that God showed us when we were still in rebellion against him. Romans 5 says this, God demonstrated his agape, his love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't on Christ's side. We weren't cheering for Jesus when he went to the cross for us. Jesus put it this way, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, Jesus said. No greater love than laying down your life for somebody else. See, that's that unconditional love that God has for you. That's that unconditional love that Jesus has for you. And since we are Christians, we follow Jesus, that's the kind of love we're to bring into our marriage and our family. That's the kind of love that motivates us to honor our mothers today. This unconditional love that says we praise this institution that God established, this motherhood and fatherhood, the design that he has, that we would do it God's way. It's not dependent upon emotions, but leads to actions of self-surrender for the sake of another, sometimes referred to as unconditional love. See, conditional love is this. Conditional love says, I'll love you if you do this. I'll love you when you do that. I'll love you, but you have to do for me first. Unconditional love is this. I'll love you no matter what. That's the kind of love that God calls us to have for one another. It's certainly the kind of love that husbands should have for their wives, that wives should have for their husbands. It's not saying, I'm going to love you when you start loving me. I'm going to love you when you're perfect. I've heard spouses say that, in essence, I'm going to start loving my spouse when he or she is perfect. Let me tell you, they will never get there. It's not the kind of love that God asks from us. Agape love says, I will love you no matter what. That's the kind of love we need to have, church. It's a radical love. It's a love the world does not know. It's a love that will be so attractive that when people walk into Riverview Church, they will sense people that, yes, are imperfect, that, yes, sometimes blow it, but they love each other. That's what the church needs to demonstrate more powerfully than any group of people on the planet. Agape love. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says this, love is not self-seeking. Love always hopes. It always perseveres always perseveres. It never gives up. Never, ever gives up. When we think of God and how he is bringing families together and husbands and wives together, he uh, involves all of those three words of agape, phileo, and eros in a beautiful love triangle, right? At the foundation of this triangle is the agape love that husbands and wives should have for one another. This unconditional love in a marriage that strengthens it, and it's a foundation on which that relationship can be built. And it grows into phileo, which is this friendship that a husband and wife should have. A husband should have a best friend in his wife. A wife should have a best friend in her husband. And there's this intellectual and emotional connection that is intimate and deep. And it culminates in that third type of love, eros, that sexual love within marriage, the way God designed for it to happen. That's, what, that's the way marriages are built in a strong, godly way. The problem is our world flips the triangle. 
puts the triangle at the base, the tip of the triangle. Sexuality has become so important that it's at the base. And you can tell if a triangle is like that, with it flipped over, it's very unstable. That's why so many relationships are being broken today. May we be a church that lives out the example of doing marriage, of doing relationships, of doing church God's way. May we be able to say we tried it and it works. We tried it in our marriage and it works to bring Christ into the center that he is this third cord that binds a husband and wife together because you're doing it the way God designed for it to do. And we would do it. Reminds me of uh, this uh, marketing conference that was happening. There was a plenary session and the speaker stood up to talk to these marketers about how to market a product. And he wanted to illustrate the power of a, of, a, of a slogan that would help people remember a product. So he said to the crowd, I'm going to say a slogan, and you tell me which product it is. He goes, this is a real old one. And he said, good to the last drop. And the crowd yelled out, what was the product? Maxwell House Coffee, exactly. Then he said this, have it your way. And the crowd yelled out, what? Burger King, exactly. Then he said, I'm loving it. And the crowd yelled out, McDonald's. Then he said, just do it. And before anyone could yell anything out, someone in the back yelled, my mother. That's exactly how she motivates us. Just do it. Mother's Day, thank you, Mom, for that motivational expertise you have. Just do it. Today, that's what God is telling us to do. Take his plan and live it out. Just do it. Live it out. Forget your selfish plans. Forget your own wisdom. Live out God's wisdom. And you know, what's amazing is this. I want my wife to love God more than she loves me. And I know she has the same desire for me, that I would love God more than I love her. Why? Because as both of us uh, draw near to God, as both of us move towards God, what happens to the husband and wife? They become one together. That's exactly what God intended. So as we come together as a church, may that be true of all of us here at the church. As husbands and wives come together in a marriage, may that be true of you. As you draw near to God, you're more and more motivated to do life His way. You're more and more motivated when you have a problem to do that problem God's way. Not to get even. Not to get revenge. Not to allow this to be a wedge that's forced between you and drives you apart, which happens so often, my friends, in a marriage. A wedge comes into a marriage, and the point is not that um, wide at first, but as that wedge is driven further and further into that marriage, two people begin to drift apart. It's not God's plan. We're falling right into Satan's trap if we allow that to happen. Yesterday, my son was in a basketball game. And I have to say this. My son, 13 years old, he's the tallest kid on his team, probably one of the best dribblers. He, he's their strongest player. And the, the game started, and he came down, he made two quick layups, and right away the coach called a timeout on the other team. And he changed his strategy. He decided that he would do a full-court press. Because my son was bringing up the ball, he wanted to trap my son at the beginning so that he would pass it to other players. And what that did, in effect, was it took my son totally out of the game. When he got the ball at first, he would throw it to another player. They would run down, and they would take the shots. My son wouldn't be taking the shots. And I said to my son, you fell right into the strategy of the opposing coach, and they lost. He took you out of the game. 
You did exactly what he wanted you to do. He took you out of the game. You always have to ask yourself, what does the opposing coach want me to do? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the exact opposite. See, Satan has a strategy for you. He wants to take you out of the game. He wants to minimize the impact that your life will make for Jesus Christ. He wants to minimize the impact that your marriage will make for Jesus Christ. Here's the way we can thwart that. Do the exact opposite. Husbands, pour into your marriage. Pour into your wives. When I planted a church in Chicago, man, it was busy. I was uh, getting people together. I was meeting with people. I was finding a place to meet, trying to uh, check out all these potential locations. I was getting equipment together for the church, buying stuff that we needed, and I was busy. The problem was, it was taking me from my wife. It was taking me from my family. And it was starting to hurt our relationships. And I realized I was doing exactly what Satan wanted me to do. Get so busy in life and ignore the most important human relationship that I had, which was my wife. And thankfully, that's changed. And I want to tell you, one thing the Lord has taught me over the years is this. The more that I, as a husband, pour myself into my wife in that relationship, the most important human relationship in my life, the more fulfilled, the more satisfied, the more content I am, the more God blesses me, the more I realize, God, your plan is perfect. So husbands today, as we celebrate moms, pour yourself into that relationship. Moms, respond by loving and respecting your husbands, by being forgiving of one another, by focusing on the hurts and joys and needs that you each have. And the more you do that, the more you'll experience exactly what Jesus said. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Here's the second thing I want you to go to know, and uh, we got to move pretty quickly. It's this. When we celebrate mothers, we celebrate the fact that families create our most important and beneficial human relationships. That families are the most beneficial human relationships that we have. See, what, this is what Kyle and Daly, they're uh, Hebrew scholars, they said this. By the leaving of father and mother, which applies to the woman as well as to the man, the union is shown to be a spiritual oneness a vital communion of heart as well as a body in which it finds its consummation. We shouldn't think that oneness just means physical sex. It's much deeper than that, Kyle and Dalich says. It's emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy. It's a husband and wife truly connecting in a deep way. How does that happen? It takes a commitment of priority that you know that what the Word of God says is absolutely true. My most important relationship is my wife, men. And wives, your most important relationship is your husband. Pour into that. Make it a priority. Don't be distracted. Value your spouse by placing a biblical importance on your marriage. That's what God means when he says, leave your mother and father. They no longer are the most important relationship in your life, your spouse is. Number two, it takes a commitment of focus and effort. Will this be hard at times? Absolutely, but it's worth it. But it's worth it. Men, here at Riverview, if you're married today, pour yourself into your spouse, into your marriage. Make it a priority. Do it God's way. Don't get to the end of your life and realize, you know what? I blew it. I neglected God's plan. I should have poured myself more into my marriage and my family. Make it a focus and an effort of your daily life. Do little things 
that bless your wife. Encourage her. Build her up. We're going to get to that in a second. But bonding is what the Bible talks about when it says that this person, the husband, cleaves to his wife, holds fast to his wife. It's the relational heart of marriage. This holding fast to is, uh, conveys the idea of being glued together. You're stuck together in this amazing relationship that God invented. Thirdly, I want you to remember this. When we celebrate mothers, we celebrate the blessing that the examples of mothers are in the lives of our spouses and children. Moms, how do you bless us? By modeling for us servanthood. You've given of yourselves. Thank you. You know, when I was in high school, um, I, I played for the basketball team for four years. And I would get up early in the morning. My bus came at 6.20 in the morning. We lived about 30 minutes from my high school. It would come at 6.20 in the morning. I'd have to get up about uh, 5.50, a half hour before the bus came to get everything ready. So I'd get up before 6 a.m. Played sports, so I would take the athletic bus home. And it wouldn't drop me off by my house until 6.30 at night. So I left when it was dark, and I came home when it was dark. And I came home after a grueling basketball practice. My coach was tough. He ran us and ran us. And I remember just dragging, coming home after practice, making it home at 6.30. My mom was always there. My mom would meet me. I'd already missed dinner with the family. They'd already eaten. She would sit me down in the den. She said, you stay here. I'm going to bring your dinner in. She would heat it up, put it on a tray, make it look all nice, bring this tray into me, and she would come back to the room every once in a while and say, do you need anything else? Do you need any more water, anything to drink, any more food, any more carrots, any more meat? Any, what do you need? And, and I would watch TV while she did all this. And I'm like, Mom, you don't have, no, I want to. I want to. I know what you've been through. I want to be there. So she would bring all, all this food every day for four years. She did that. And every day for four years, I never was interested in it before. But I became, because it was the only show on TV that I remotely liked, I became a Star Trek fan. Watching Star Trek every day for four years. Because it was on every day at 6.30. And my mom would serve me. And my image of my mother is that standing at the door leading into the kitchen, looking in the den. Do you need anything else? Do you need more food? Do you need something? I'll get it for you. And if you've had anyone ever treat you like that, I know as a high school student, I began to feel so unworthy of that. Like, Mom, you don't have to serve me like that. I want to. And that image of my mother has become an incredible example to me of what it means to be a servant. I'll never be as good as my mom. But that example has been an example to me. Every time I think of a servant, I think of my mom wanting to do whatever she could to make me happy for four years. Moms, thank you. We know you're not perfect, but you have been incredible examples of servants to all of us. Don't be discouraged. Keep on living out your faith in front of your family and your spouse. And husbands and kids, appreciate your mom. Kids, appreciate your mom and dad. They're not perfect. But this is what God has designed to prepare you for life. Matthew 19, 6, they're no longer two but one flesh. What God, therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. Ephesians talks about how a husband should treat his wife. It's a powerful passage. It says no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and he ties it right into marriage. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Bible challenges husbands to nourish your wives. The Greek word is ektrepo. It means this healthy sustenance, just like we require healthy food to live healthy lives. So our spouses require sustenance from us, encouragement that builds them up, that strengthens them. Do you give that to your spouse? Do you nourish your spouse each and every day in a genuine, real way? Not fake, not fake encouragement, real, genuine encouragement. Thank you for all you do for me as your husband. Thank you for all you do for our kids. Thank you for all you do that glues this family together. Thank you. That's nourishment. The other word is cherish. Men, do you cherish your spouse? Greek word here is thalpo. It means to, to warm up, to brood over like a hen over its chicks, right? To warm up, to lovingly care for that person. You cherish this relationship because it is the most important relationship of your life, which ultimately will lead to oneness. Exactly what God's goal is for every marriage. A commitment to strive for intimacy through Christ, to share life together, to know each other deeply and delight in each other's presence. So as we close, here's the path that God gave us. Number one, unconditional love, agape, that we follow Christ's example. Focus time and effort on our marriage and our family. Humble, teachable heart. Don't let pride get in the way. Be a servant, men, servant leader to your wife. Wives, step in and support and be the godly team God has called you to. My wife is a flight attendant. Every plane has a pilot and co-pilot. They work together to bring that plane to its destination. That's the picture of a good, godly marriage. A husband and wife working together to bring this family to the godly destination that the word outlines for us. And then to have a no-quit attitude. God is greater than our problems attitude. We're not going to let any problem divide us or destroy this relationship. And that there would be intimacy at all levels. Spiritual, emotional, intellectual intimacy. That's a deep intimacy, just like God designed marriage to be. Here's my last reminders for you. Follow Christ closely. Leave this place. Follow Christ closely. Love deeply. Love deeply. That unconditional love. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Titus says this. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. Forgive quickly. Have forgiveness in your heart. Just like the word of God. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Engage fully. When you're with one another, engage fully. Don't get distracted. Don't fall into Satan's destructive strategy and do exactly what he wants you to do. Pour yourself into your wife, your husband, your marriage, and your family. And then lastly this, encourage generously. May every family be one that nourishes and cherishes one another. Encourage generously in your families. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. as your hearts are bowed today my hope and prayer would be that we would leave this place determined to do life God's way to live our lives the way that pleases Jesus to do families and marriage God's way moms we honor you today because you're part of God's plan and we hope and pray you sense his favor on your life today Lord thank you for this opportunity we have to celebrate your plan 
we hold our heads high as we follow your plan. We're not ashamed. We're not caving in. We're not changing your plan because your wisdom is so much greater than ours. So Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves to you. We worship you today. And we leave this place empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son.